welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series two and episode three. This is the episode in which Satan tempts Jesus in the desert. And in a minute, we're going to take up the story from Luke's account in Luke chapter four at the beginning of that chapter. But before we do that, let's just set the scene for a moment by going back to things that happened in the episodes uh, leading up to where we are now. First of all, in episode one, we looked at the way that John the Baptist started preaching uh, down by the Jordan and started baptizing and calling people to a life of repentance. And he caused really quite a sensation in Israel. He uh, attracted huge crowds and he preached that they should change their lives and uh, that it, it provoked a tremendously strong response with many, many people being very touched by John's message and feeling that something important was happening. Obviously, he was pointing the way to the coming of Jesus. And as we described in the last episode, episode two of series two, Jesus then came down to be baptised by John, which was a rather surprising event. John wanting uh, it to be the other way around with Jesus baptising him. But Jesus said, no, we must fulfil all righteousness. In other words, we must obey what God wants. And he identified with the human sinful condition by being baptised in the water. And if you heard that episode, you'll remember that there was a remarkable, miraculous sign. As soon as Jesus came up from the water, the Holy Spirit came down on him in power as represented by the form of a dove, which could be visibly seen. And then audibly, people could hear a voice uh, as if from nowhere, as if from the clouds speaking. And it was God the Father identifying Jesus as his son. Uh, and saying that he was well pleased in him. So that's what's happened just in the immediate period before uh, this event. So Jesus, in going down to the Jordan, was very consciously uh, putting himself in the public domain for the first time. This was the beginning of his public ministry uh, thousands of people would have seen him there. Thousands of people would have seen the baptism, the dove, and have heard the voice and have heard what John said as he clearly indicated that this was the Messiah. And John was going to continue to say that for some time to come, as we'll see in subsequent episodes. But from that point, what was going to happen next? The thing that one might have expected to happen is that Jesus would just start going around preaching, teaching, healing, uh, delivering people from evil powers, uh, the things that we see him doing for a long time uh, through all the Gospels, and it's described in great detail. We would have thought that would have happened immediately. He was ready to go. He was equipped. He was commissioned. He was called. He declared his hand. He was in the public domain. Uh, what was to stop him? And then something very surprising happens. Uh, when you think of it from the point of view of the likely development. Something that we need to reflect on very carefully because there was another step that was necessary. The stakes were very high in what Jesus was intending to do in launching his mission and bringing salvation to the world, dying on the cross, rising again from the dead in due course. And uh, he was not without real 
opposition and enemies, and not all of those enemies were human enemies. So this is the context for our reading and this topic. We're going to read in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. There's a parallel account in Matthew's Gospel, uh, which you can access as well. But we're going to take the story as Luke uh, describes it. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Well, this story raises a number of very important questions and some important perspectives too. Let's just start with considering the significance of the Holy Spirit. It's very noticeable at the beginning that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and Jesus was full of the Spirit. So the fact he ended up in this difficult situation wasn't an accident. It was part of a divine plan. And the wilderness was a particular area of southern Israel, Judah, called the Judean wilderness. It's a localised semi-desert area that was very close to the River Jordan. The, The same area that John the Baptist had spent a lot of time in Uh, before his ministry had gone public, as we discussed in a previous episode. So quite a short distance from the Jordan, Jesus could enter into the Judean wilderness area, quite a hilly area, a lot of remote places, and uh, a dry area, of course, 
where he would experience this remarkable temptation. But it's interesting that Luke says at the beginning that he was full of the Spirit when he went into the desert and he came out of the desert in Luke 4 verse 14 uh, in the power of the Spirit. So there's something divinely significant about why Jesus had to go there. Now Luke innocently introduces a character to the narrative, a spiritual being, the devil, without any significant explanation. Now to us in the 21st century, for some people listening to this, uh, you might think, well, actually this needs quite a lot of uh, explanation. Some people in today's world I don't believe in any personal deity or God or any personal incarnation of evil at all. Uh, some people feel more comfortable describing evil as a kind of impersonal force, a dark force that affects humanity. And some people just see evil as human nature gone wrong. And we have the capacity as humans having gone wrong morally uh, to do some very, very evil and terrible things to one another. So people have a, have a variety of different views. But Luke picks up a biblical view that's well established in the Old Testament and uh, continues uh, in the rest of the New Testament. So let's just very quickly sketch out what that means in case uh, we're not familiar with it. You see, the Bible describes an original creation in Genesis at the beginning that was perfect and uh, functioned in a perfect way and described early mankind as living in a perfect paradise, in perfect relationship with God. And then described a spiritual being represented by the form of a, of a snake, infiltrating that world and corrupting mankind and turning them away from God. As the rest of the Old Testament uh, unfolds, we find uh, indications that uh, God not only created the heaven and the earth, but created spiritual beings, not humans or any of the organic uh, creatures in this world, uh, called angels, who worshipped him, served him in the heavenly world. And that some of these rebelled against God in the same way that later on humanity was to rebel against him. And the leader of those rebelling angels uh, is named in the Bible Satan or the devil and their other names as well. And so we're talking about a personal being and many other personal beings with him, demonic forces, that are entirely hostile to God fixed in their hostility against him and against any of his purposes, particularly his purposes to redeem mankind, to save mankind, to offer grace and love to mankind and to bring mankind into relationship with him. These evil forces don't make a big appearance in the Bible. They just appear from time to time. They're not the main characters. The focus isn't on them. But when they appear, they appear as entirely hostile to the purposes of God. And with all that in mind, it's no real surprise that at this particular point, 
the devil, Satan himself, makes an appearance uh, to Jesus and seeks to communicate with him and to steer him away from his determined purpose. I think the strategy of the demonic forces here is to prevent this mission of Jesus from the very beginning, to abort the mission by diverting Jesus away from the right approach and the right actions. This is the biblical perspective and uh, we'll see some more evidence of it as we study the Gospels and if you study the uh, the, the, the letters and if you study uh, of the New Testament and if you study the book of Revelation and elsewhere you'll find plenty of evidence of these spiritual forces. Although we know that their power is defeated through the cross of Jesus and uh, we'll allude to that later on when we see what Jesus says about Satan being overturned by his death on the cross. Now Jesus was tempted and we have to understand that temptation as a real one. Jesus in his humanity was vulnerable to thinking or doing the wrong thing. The fact is he never did and that's because of the divine nature of Jesus as well. But the feelings of vulnerability and the thoughts of doing something that could be different from God's will were undoubtedly genuine and real and are referred to uh, in the Bible uh, in a number of different places as if they are very real events. Now the period of time that Jesus is in the wilderness is about six weeks, 40 days, and he is going without food during this time. This is remarkable. The human body can only sustain about six weeks worth of uh, total fasting and abstinence from food without uh, some uh, negative effects on the body beginning to uh, come to play. So this is an endurance test of significant proportions. And not only is he doing without food, he's in a hostile environment, both in terms of the physical geography of it and also in terms of the spiritual environment with satanic forces ranged against him. So I want to just reflect for a moment on the pressure of the wilderness. Jesus is away from his customary support in his family and his home in Nazareth. Um, he's away from the big exciting experience of being with John the Baptist down by the River Jordan and his baptism and the remarkable appearance of the Holy Spirit and the voice of his father. He's away from the worshipping community of the synagogue in Nazareth, which he was familiar with. He's away from home comforts. And so he's vulnerable in a human sense. But Jesus has a number of resources. Let's just think what resources he had with him. You'll notice that in the temptation process that he uses biblical quotations from the Old Testament. They happen to be from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 6 and chapter 8, uh, which are used to counteract the things that are suggested to him. Now, Jesus wouldn't be able to use that resource unless he had actually memorized the text. And 
That's a remarkable thought. So we'll just ponder on that for a moment. His number one resource, uh, humanly speaking, was his acquaintance with and knowledge of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and also his memorization of it. Now, the Jews were very skillful and experienced at memorizing uh, biblical texts. It's not a skill that's so well developed in the modern world. And so he could draw on his knowledge of the word of God to help him. We'll come back to that point later on. He also had, of course, the presence of the Holy Spirit. After all, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And so that tells us that the strength within him came from the divine presence of the Spirit rather than his human strength, which was at a very minimal point at this moment in his life. And of course, he could pray to his father. Mark chapter 1 verse 13 just makes a passing reference to the fact that while he was in the wilderness, angels attended to him. Angels attended him. That too is very remarkable. And Mark doesn't describe this experience in any detail, but he makes that particular point that God's angels were present with Jesus. And so he experienced these three perplexing temptations. The first one is extremely obvious. He's hungry. And the devil suggests to him that he can turn the stones of the wilderness into bread. Now, the fact that Jesus had the power to do that is not in doubt. Uh, in fact, we have uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and then a similar one, the feeding of the 4,000, where he multiplies bread in an astonishing way, uh, a miracle not dissimilar to what's being suggested here. The fact that Jesus might have the power to create food that he needs miraculously is not really in doubt. What is under question is whether he should do that at this particular moment. And he quotes, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. The context here in the book of Deuteronomy is a reflection on the fact that by obedience to God, um, he provided the children of Israel with miraculous bread called manna for 40 years while they were in the wilderness. Jesus was being tempted to put human needs above obedience to God's specific command. He was being tempted to avoid the fact that self-denial is a part of the godly, uh, what we now call Christian life. That's a thought that we need to hold. We'll come back to thinking about things related to that in a moment. And then the devil led him to a high place and showed him the geography of the area and suggested to him falsely that this all belonged to the devil and he could hand it over to Jesus, give him glory and splendor if he would just worship the devil. So this is basically offering him another way to authority and glory, the way that Jesus had chosen through his father's intention and the intention of the Trinity was to suffer, to die, to take the place of humility, which we discussed before, uh, to be raised again from the dead and to be uh, to find glory in heaven again, having given up all power on this earth and taken uh, the path of a servant. Now, the devil suggests the opposite, saying you don't have to be a servant. You can just be a king now. You know, I've got the power. I can just give it to you. Worshipping power 
and self-importance is a temptation, particularly for those for whom the possibility exists. But Jesus resisted that very, very clearly. He knew the way he had to go and he knew it was a very difficult path and he knew that he couldn't go the way that was being suggested by the devil. And then Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem. So he went out of the wilderness into the capital city uh, nearby and into the temple, then up to a high point on the temple building known as the pinnacle. And the devil suggests to him that he throw himself down because misquoting the context of, of a particular psalm, he suggested that God would rescue him um, if he did that, you know, uh, just to create a sensation or to create popularity. So this is a real tussle going on here. It's a real battle between a, a spiritual opponent who wants to do everything in his power to prevent Jesus pursuing the course of action that his mission required. I think the, uh, the devil knew that uh, this would be a great defeat for him if Jesus died on the cross, because it would open the way to salvation to countless millions of people, including many of us, hopefully all of us, listening to this recording here 2,000 years later. This word of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is spreading across the world. And I'm doing this uh, in order to allow the word to go even further to every part of the world. I'm following on in the commission uh, given to the early church to spread the word because a great victory was achieved on the cross and the satanic forces cannot prevent people if they choose coming into the kingdom of God and finding real salvation in this life and in eternity. So the stakes are high. The stakes were high at this particular time. But Jesus was completely steadfast. He was patient in these 40 days. He was willing to undergo self-denial. He was focused on obedience. He used the resources he had, the help of angels, praying to his Father, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the memory of the scriptures and his understanding of God's will through them. He had some considerable resources. It's a remarkable story, a sobering story, a rather awkward story in a way, because we want to get on to see what Jesus actually does in his ministry. But before he gets started, the devil comes and does everything he can to divert him from the task. But Jesus shows his complete obedience to his father and complete resistance to any of the temptations that the devil would bring. And it says at the end that the devil will come back at an opportune time to continue his attack. But what I want to do now is to offer some final reflections for us so that we can gain something helpful for ourselves from this particular passage. First of all, I want to just say to you that these temptations were a very real human experience for Jesus. Although his divine nature ensured that he wouldn't succumb to temptation or fall into sin, his humanity felt the draw of these things to some measure. And one obvious dimension of that is he was hungry and he had the power 
to solve the problem of hunger. And you and I know what it is to feel hungry. And you and I know what it is to make an effort to find some food, to buy some food in the shop, to go home and get some food, to look for food when we're hungry. It's a powerful driving force for us. So that driving force was felt by Jesus. And he felt the power of temptation, though he did not succumb in any measure at all. But this leads us to a wider consideration or reflection for ourselves, because we're different from Jesus in one fundamental respect. We have uh, a sinful, selfish human nature. And so temptation is, is a real issue for us. Temptation to do things, say things, think things, act in ways that are contrary to our Christian faith. So I want to just pause and uh, just talk a little bit around this before coming back finally to this text again, just to take the theme a little bit beyond the immediate context uh, and learn a couple of things which I think will be helpful. I'm just going to read to you briefly from uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 to uh, 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. In, in this passage, James describes for us the fact that temptation doesn't come from God. And that's, of course, very clearly what we see in the account uh, of Jesus's temptation. It didn't come from his father. It didn't come from God. It came from the devil. And temptation in this passage is described as um, being based on our own evil desire, on our sinful nature. Our sinfulness gives a possibility of us drifting away from the truth. And you and I know that. This is our common experience. God doesn't tempt us, but he uses testing times and the temptation we experience from our own inner self or from other people or from spiritual forces. He uses that to strengthen our character. And there's a certain sense in which that was what was happening in the humanity of Jesus during the temptation in the wilderness. He was being strengthened. The word for temptation can sometimes be translated tested. It's a testing process. Now, the Christian life has many testing experiences, and you'll be very familiar with that if you are a Christian. Jesus himself had this very testing experience. It strengthened him. It gave his human nature, his human experience, uh, something that uh, shaped his ability to deal with tough issues in the future. He dealt with a very tough issue right here at the beginning. And so when we're going through testing times, when we're tempted to give up or to go into a, a way of life that's just not consistent with our faith, we should remember God isn't 
tempting us, but he will use that experience to strengthen us if we put our trust in him. But one other thing about temptation that I think we, we need to say at this particular point to clarify what we're talking about um, is uh, based on 1 Peter 5 verse 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So it's not just Jesus who faced a satanic opponent. The church faces satanic forces as well. And so there is a battle to be won. And as you're listening to this, many of you will know what that battle is in your own life. And I want to encourage you to use this talk uh, as a decisive uh, resource to help you and as a means of giving you faith to overcome significant tests that you may face. Maybe to do with finance, maybe to do with health or personal circumstances, or the desire to enter into a wrong relationship or something in the area of sexual uh, morality or something in the area of illegal activities and addictions. Maybe you're tempted to give up on your active Christian faith. Maybe you're tempted to not uh, identify yourself as a Christian anymore. There could be any number of things, but we usually know exactly what our battles are. And so it doesn't need me to persuade you of that. But one very important verse to help you, and this is one of the most important things I want to say in this session. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says something very significant about temptation and testing. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when difficulty and temptation comes, God wants to help you find a way through. Just like God the Father wanted his son Jesus to find a way through those 40 difficult days in the wilderness with the devil tempting him. And angels came and ministered to him. The father, no doubt, spoke to him. The scriptures came to mind. The fullness of the Holy Spirit gave him inner strength when his body was weak because of fasting. And so there is a way out of temptation. Later on, we'll be studying how Jesus taught us to pray. What's what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And this contains a famous phrase, which we can pray. And I pray this prayer almost every day because I use the Lord's Prayer virtually every day of my life. And I pray through the phrases. And one phrase says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus was delivered from evil in the wilderness. And we've just read the story of how that happened. That's remarkable. God's power, God the Father's power, God the Son's power, working, uh, God the Holy Spirit's power, all worked together in a wonderful way. And Jesus was redeemed. He didn't fall into that temptation. We should and must pray, lead us not into temptation.
but deliver us from evil. In other words, shield us from temptation and from falling into Satan's trap. So if you're listening to this, as I conclude this talk, I just want to appeal to you. If, you've, if you know in your life there's a, there's a battle on here and you've fallen into temptation or into some kind of uh, deception and you're suddenly realising you're heading in the wrong direction and things are not going as they should, should be, can I suggest that you pray this prayer and that you read this text again and you ask God to help you. God the Father helped his son to resist temptation in those 40 days in the wilderness. And God the Father is committed by the power of the Holy Spirit to help his children today to resist temptation and be delivered from evil. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.